Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're recording this on the heels of our football podcast we just did, during which I ate a bunch of chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A. You have to go listen to the previous Buckeye Talk football podcast to find out exactly how many nuggets I ate. You did have a tray of 80, though. There was a tray of 80, so it's not more than 80. It's between 1 and 80. You had a tray of 89. Nine bonus nugs. God bless Chick Fil A. They probably just scoop them in there, and it's like once it looks full, it's like here you go. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk basketball in this one. We know we think you guys don't like it when we talk basketball and football together. So we just did a big football one that went up on Wednesday morning. Go listen to that, and then we're going to talk basketball here because their season is over. Uh, did not go very well, and Trevor Thompson is going to the NBA. Um, he's going pro. He's going. Hopefully, <laughs> he hopes he's going to be in the NBA. That is an important distinction. It is. Um, so let's jump into that first, Bill Landis. Trevor Thompson leaving Ohio State. Uh, any surprise there? He tested the NBA draft waters last year and then came back. He would have been a fifth-year senior after he transferred from Virginia Tech. Uh, what do you think? Not surprised. I'm not surprised. I don't think Ohio State was totally surprised. Um, Trevor Thompson was sort of noncommittal about it in the locker room in Washington when they, after they lost to Rutgers. Uh, in the Big Ten tournament, which to me is like if a guy is not committal, then he's going because why would he say anything other than I'm coming back if he knew he was coming back? Um, this is different, though. This is not this is not testing the NBA waters. As far as we can tell, this is him foregoing his final season of college basketball to play professional basketball in some capacity. He'll try to get invited to the NBA Combine. He'll try to get private workouts. He didn't get either of those last year when he tested the NBA waters. No one expected that he would. He said the process is beneficial for him. I thought he was much better this year. He averaged basically a double-double. was like 10.6 points and 9.2 rebounds. And there were two other players in the Big Ten who did that, who had double-digit scoring and at least nine rebounds. And it was Caleb Swanigan and Ethan Happ, who were widely considered the two best players in the Big Ten. Um, Thompson's numbers are very comparable to Ethan Happ's, actually. They're not Big E Swanigan scored more than he did. But... The notion of Trevor Thompson being a professional basketball player is not as crazy to me now as it was a year ago when he did this. I don't know if he can play in the NBA, at least not next year. If Trevor Thompson, who was 23 years old, by the way, he's an older senior because he had the fifth year. If Trevor Thompson is the 12th player on an NBA bench in four years, I don't know if I'd be surprised by that. I think I would be surprised. He's a seven-footer with some skill. Now, he has to develop that skill. He needs to develop more of a jump shot. He needs to stop fouling people. I don't think he'd get called for the fouls he was called for in college in the NBA. There's a lot of things that have to break his way, but I think from sort of a raw talent standpoint, a seven-footer who runs the way he does, who shoots free throws the way he does, and who has a little bit of offensive skill that he does, gets a shot. 
He's not the first guy to leave early. LaQuentin Ross and Deshaun Thomas both went pro and didn't make the NBA. So if he ends up, though, Ohio State has a long list of guys who uh, are making money overseas. Were they? Bo- so Thomas was drafted by the Spurs, right? Thomas was drafted in the was second round. Ross drafted. Quentin Ross was not drafted. Okay, but and like Thomas was drafted, was it like one of the last like two? The last I think pick was of the draft. Like fifty-eight. Yeah. So I never really got you know. Thompson's not going to get drafted. So it's fine. I mean, like, go make money. Go make money. It's great. You know. Um, what were you going to say, Swasi boy? I thought that he was up and away the best player on Ohio State's roster. I thought that Ohio State was in a lot of games that I watched because of him and him only. And I don't know if that's too much, and I don't even know if that means anything because nobody else on Ohio State's roster is going to the NBA. But I thought that Ohio State (laughs) was at its best and the most functional and the most dangerous when he was playing well, and I thought he played a lot better than – he was a lot better watching him than I thought he was going to be. There were times when he was a dominant big man, like not not just against crap teams. Like there were times like where if you could have taken him and put him on some of Ohio State's past teams where they had some issues at big man, I think they would have been really, really good basketball teams with him. Instead of some guys they've had in the past, so he, I mean, and this shows you what the base level was, I guess. But like, he was a guy you could throw it to in the paint and like not be nervous about what was going to happen. Because I think what's interesting is is that in theory, they were a year away from having D'Angelo, him, and Tate on the same team, and I think that's a very good basketball team. That was the plan. I remember talking to some Ohio State people when he transferred here that they thought he might be a one and done at Ohio State. Played a freshman year at Virginia Tech, had to sit out a year as a transfer, and when they got a look at him when he got here, they thought maybe he was going to be so good that he was going to play one year at Ohio State and go to the NBA. Um, that obviously did not happen, and I'm going to disagree with some of the Trevor Thompson love. I think he is exactly the kind of guy that killed you because he is exactly the kind of guy who can be really good, but I felt like you could not count on. Did he? Even though he averaged nearly a double double, there were games where he gave you nothing. Yeah, where he like got four fouls and had two points. And if he is going to be one of your better players and a sometimes dominant big man, then for him to have games more than once where he gives you nothing, absolutely kills you. I agree one hundred percent with that, and I, th- I think that's if he is going to be a professional basketball player in somewhere that's not Finland, then like that needs to change, obviously. But but let, let, but in terms of Ohio State, how much will he be missed? Let's say he would have come back to Ohio State. How much of a difference is it for next year's team that he's not going to be here because they are going to have freshman Caleb Wesson inside. They're going to have Micah Potter inside. They're going to have David Bell inside. How much of a difference is it for Ohio State's team that he's not there? Uh, it's hard to say. Like He's their best rebounder, and like he's a seven-footer, so he should be. In terms of like offensive production, I don't think he had much of a defensive presence. He wasn't a great rim protector. So I don't know. I think it's possible that he's not on the team next year and you don't really notice, which I guess says a lot about, <laughs> a lot about who he is as a player. So, And here's – I always – I wanted to ask you guys this. So obviously, Bill, you were there every game. I was around very, very, very sporadically. Um, but whenever I heard – you heard guys multiple times this year talk about focus, talk about – playing hard, talk about being locked in, that, that they weren't. The team wasn't. I, well, it's not hard to look at this team, even from afar, and say, wow, they don't play hard every night. They don't play with awareness every night. They don't look like they know what they're doing late in the year. They don't look like they want to be there. So to me, when Ohio State talked about, when the players and coaches talked about guys 
who lacked focus at times, lacked awareness at times, lacked the, the desire to put it all out there. I always thought they were talking about three guys. Jaquan Lyle, Trevor Thompson, and Mark Loving. Correct. Is that a correct assumption? Because nobody ever says names, and it's like, well, it's like only six guys who play, and it's not Jay Sean Tate. So who is it? It's those three. It's those three. So Mark Loving is gone, and Trevor Thompson is gone. So I don't know that it's a terrible thing that Trevor Thompson is gone. And Jaquan Lyle is going to be back, and they need Jaquan Lyle. But I think of the three, Jaquan Lyle is the most capable of changing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I, So you get rid of two, yeah. and you hope the third changes. And I think the number one overriding thing that was the problem this year for the worst season of Thad Mata's career, which is – Guys not showing up every night. Guys not having awareness. Guys making stupid mistakes. Guys making careless turnovers. Guys not playing hard on defense. Guys looking like they don't want to be there. You get rid of two and you hope the third changes. And I think you have to cross your fingers and hope, if you're an Ohio State basketball fan and or Thad Mata, that that changes the entire feel of your team. I think the thing with Lyle as a – like. I think he's a little different than the other two guys. Like, I don't know how often Jaquan Lyle showed up and in the first 30 seconds of the game you thought to yourself, okay, he just doesn't have it tonight. I, I always felt it was like something had to happen for Jaquan Lyle to go to that place and just be completely out of it. And it's happened a lot over two years. Loving and Thompson often, I think, showed up to the gym with, like, no interest in playing basketball that night. Loving especially. Um, and Thompson more so last year than this year, but it still happened this year. So I agree with you that I think Lyle is a guy who maybe could change a little bit. And Lyle seems most receptive, I think, to what Thad Mata is trying to do, even if his actions don't always back up his words. And I think if you have a guy like that and you get rid of other guys and you surround him only with guys who are there every night and who can get past a mistake and that kind of thing, does Jay Sean Tate have focus and want to be there? Yes. Does Andre Wesson have focus and want to be there? Yes. CJ Jackson? Yep. Cam Williams? Uh, sometimes more, yeah, more often than not. Michael Potter, yeah, I felt like Michael Potter's mistakes were more like a freshman who got screwed up on defense, but not because he didn't pay attention, it's because he hadn't done it before. Is that correct? I agree with that. I also think he was playing out of position as a five, he's a four, and he hit the wall maybe a little bit at the freshman wall, more games, yeah, more, probably played too many minutes. I thought he hit a freshman wall. Because he played so many minutes at the beginning of the season, and then you sort of saw Andre Wesson come up a little bit toward the end of the year because he was playing like six minutes a game at the beginning of the season. So I'm thinking about those guys. Kata Bates Diop, too. Who was hurt the whole year, but is Kata Bates Diop a guy who wants to be there and has focus? Yes. All right, so if your team next year, those other guys are gone, the heart of your team is Tate, Bates Diop, Potter, Williams, Wesson, and then that is what is around Jaquan Lyle, who still – might be your leading scorer, and C.J. Jackson in there, might be your leading scorer, might be your most dynamic offensive player, might be the guy who can get his own shot the most. But if he's surrounded by all that stuff, all the good, I think you have a better chance of getting the best of Jaquan Lyle. I agree with that. I, yeah, I think he – we always wondered, like – and I guess we can talk about it more because he's not on the team anymore – how much like a guy like Mark Loving actually drug, dragged the team down with his – he was just like emotionless all the time, never too high, never too low flat um how much i could bring down the team and i was never one who bought into the fact that like you could bring down everybody around him but i think jaquan lyle is a guy who gets like deeply impacted in that way and if he sees the senior 
not really caring, then Lyle will go in the hole too. So if every, if, if Lyle's the only guy who thinks he's going to go to that place and everyone else around him won't go there, I think you're, I think he can feed off that. I think he feeds off negative negativity and positivity in a very real way. So, which, so I guess in the end, my thought is Trevor Thompson is a skilled player that Ohio State might be better off without. Yeah, I think so. But that I, I think I think that also thinking that Trevor Thompson is going to make money playing basketball somewhere. In America? Possibly. Amir Williams is in the D-League. Amir Williams was like a first-round pick in the D-League draft. Yeah. I think Trevor Thompson could make money in America playing basketball. In America. But he could also make this Is there a Canadian professional basketball league? Listen, and I'm not – like I am completely not downplaying playing overseas. I – if – I think being an overseas basketball player as a young man is an unbelievable life. I've said it a million times. If you want to criticize LaQuentin Ross or Deshaun Thomas, it's like, like, would you like to live in France and make hundreds of thousands of dollars and get like a free apartment and a free car? Yeah. Yes. I'll take that. Yes. A million times. Or would you rather like go to college for another year? Yeah. I'm going to France, man. I'm going to Greece. I'm going to Turkey. I'm going to anywhere over Those there. Those places are pretty. <laughs> so, like, I think that is I, good luck to Trevor Thompson. I hope he makes a lot of money. I hope he makes every penny he can make and puts it in the bank and has an unbelievable life experience overseas if that's what he ends up doing. John Diebler has been overseas. John Diebler was a second-round pick in the NBA draft who never sniffed the NBA, really. And – just from afar, I think has made a very nice life for himself being an overseas basketball player. So more power to you, man. Good luck. But I think Ohio State will be fine. I agree. Did you want to ask us a question? I wanted to ask, So we talked about that, the <coughs> podcast I think you were referring to when you said people don't like when we mix basketball and football together. Was it three weeks, two or three weeks ago, we talked about sort of how the basketball t- football team's success impacts the perception of what the basketball program should be. And I think all three of us came to the agreement that Ohio State has the seventh best program in the Big Ten. Yes, that was our official number, I believe. In your head, is seventh best program different from finishing in seventh place in the Big Ten every year and that being okay? I think if you finish in seventh place in the Big Ten every year for, say, five years, and that was your – so a new coach gets here. So Thad leaves whenever he leaves, and the new coach gets here, and the new coach posts five consecutive seventh-place finishes. And let's say three of those five get you in the NCAA tournament. That's not good enough. Okay. I think there was some confusion about that. Because I, I agreed, I think, with everything we talked about in terms of program stature, that if Ohio, you want to see Ohio State seventh, I'll buy that. But in my head, seventh place in the Big Ten is uh, cons- consecutive seasons of seventh place in the Big Ten is not good enough. But I think that what it does is it means that maybe one year you finish third, maybe one year you won it, but then when you're in your basement, you're in the basement. Yeah, I think you could be third, fifth, seventh, compete to win it, eleventh, seventh, fourth, compete to win it. Then that class leaves. You had a really good class. Then you're tenth the next year. I think that's reasonable because your numbers there were all like fifth, fourth, compete for it, eleventh. I think you need to have three out of five years where you're better than seventh, and then your basement years you're in the basement. Because I mean, because that that's 
seventh, then we're not averaging it out the correct way right. if you're going to say that they're third or competing to win it five, four out of five years. And I don't disagree with any of that. I guess I just wanted some clarification because when we posted that podcast, there were a lot of people who were critical of our view of the program and took it as we think that it's okay if Ohio State is seventh place in the Big Ten for eternity. That's fine. No, no, I, 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 would, I would not say that. I think we were saying that they should be the seventh best program. Yeah, it's not rankings. No, it's they not expect- Big Ten standings. That's yeah, right. That's just like if Michigan State's the best program, Michigan State's not going to finish first every year, right? You know, Ohio um, State's the best the basement, football program, the and they base- don't finish first right. in the Big Ten every year. But I guess your threshold for what becomes like a fireable trajectory is different if you're the best program in the Big Ten or if you're the seventh best program in the Big Ten. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think Ohio State should be more in the realm of when you're like. When you have some veterans or you really get one of those guys, when you get a Jared Sullinger who grows up down the street, um, then you're really good. But then when those guys leave and you're younger and then maybe you miss the tournament a couple times. Because frankly, I mean, the seventh and the seventh best program in the Big Ten is basically making – I mean, they get seven in basically every, every year. year. Yeah. So that's, that's a consistent NCAA tournament. Even this year when everyone thought the Big Ten was bad, they still got seven. So um, – so that's saying you should be a big, a consistent Big Ten tournament. I mean, a, a consistent NCAA tournament team. So I don't think that's too much to ask. But may I take a – is that answering your question? Because I is. have a brief tangent I would like to it go is. on. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting this thing up that is sort of like a step-by-step of the highs and lows of the Thad Mata era and what it means about whether he can bounce back or not. And I just would like to emphasize again, there was a stretch – that is truly astounding to me as I went. I mean, I covered it. I lived it. So, of course, I know about it. But I was just reliving it as part of the story today. And it's not anything to do with the Greg Oden era. It is the stretch of um, Evan Turner's junior year. He's the national player of the year. He was a top 50 prospect, but he wasn't a sure thing five-star recruit by any stretch. He's the national player of the year. Wins every award there is. Goes on to be the number two pick in the NBA draft. Ohio State's a two seed in the tournament. Ties for first, I think, in the regular season in the Big Ten. They win the Big Ten tournament after Evan Turner hits a half-court shot to beat Michigan in the quarterfinals, and everybody remembers that. They get to the Sweet 16. Kansas is in their in their region as the one seed. Has been upset in the second round. It's open for them, but they lose to Tennessee in the Sweet 16, and then Michigan State, as a lower seed, ends up going to the Final Four that year. But they won the Big Ten, won the Big Ten tournament, had the National Player of the Year, and got to the Sweet 16. The National Player of the Year leaves, and they're better the next year because Jared Sullinger comes straight in. They are the best team in the country. They are the best team in the country. And there's not really... That much debate about it. They are. It's a year I remember very clearly. Everyone said there's no super team. There's no standout team. But if you were looking for the best team, it was them. They were number one for like two months. And they go and they lose to Kentucky in the Sweet 16 because William Buford's like three for 16 in that game. And they lose by two points. Not only because of that, but they have a really cold shooting game. In a year when UConn as a three seed wins the tournament over Butler, okay? They were the best team in the country. Jared Sellinger comes back, but they lose three senior starters. 
Okay, everyone thinks they're going to be a little bit worse. They go to the Final Four. They go to the Final Four. So they're Sweet 16, kind of disappointing. Sweet 16, kind of disappointing. Final Four team, should be, they should beat Kansas in the semifinal. They blow a lead, lose. They're in the Final Four. Sullinger leaves. Okay, They come back basically with Deshaun Thomas and Aaron Kraft. They go to the Elite Eight. And they, you think they're going to win because they play Wichita State in the regional final in L.A. and get upset by Wichita State. Okay? That has nothing to do with Greg Oden or Mike Conley, which is a lightning-in-the-bottle recruiting moment that they'll never duplicate again. That is an unbelievable four years of basketball. National Player of the Year, Sweet 16. You lose the National Player of the Year. You're better the next year. You're number one half the season. Get upset. You come back and make the Final Four. You lose the guy who's been the heart and soul of your team, Jared Sellinger. You come back and you make the Elite Eight. That is unlike – I just want – those four years are unbelievable for Ohio State basketball. And if that at all is your threshold, you're never going to get there again. I mean, that's no one's threshold. Like other that is un. That was an unbelievable Kansas. four years. And so now, and, how, and then, half of those years, they feel like they half of those years were very like underachieving. Underachieving people were devastated at the end of the year. And we are now four years removed from that because then the four years since then are lost to Dayton in the first round in Aaron Kraft's senior year. Um, lost to Arizona with Russell. Win one game in the tournament and then lose and then miss it, miss it. So that's the last four years. But those previous four years, I mean, these last four tough years, those previous four years, if you said, will you take these four years, but then you're going to have to pay for it on the back end with four down years, you would take that trade every time. Because that was an unbelievable stretch. And it wasn't a million years ago. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that back out there because I think you really need to think about those four years because that was an extraordinary stretch of Ohio State basketball that was not reliant on Greg Oden and Mike Conley Jr. showing up and getting to the national championship game. Anyway, I just I had not thought of that four-year stretch in that context, and it really, truly, truly is a great stretch. I think it's important to point out, too, because – and this is something we talked, to, talked about before. Like this – whatever's happening now – whatever you want to call it, downturn, whatever. How long do you categorize it? As, and people are category like they're saying the downturn started because they won 31 games in 2011-12. Actually, no, they won 34 games in 2010-11, the year they went to the Sweet 16, and have lost or, or won less games every year since then. And because that's happened, like that's all. Like they were 34 and three, right? Because they were 34 and three, and then they were 31 and eight, and then they were 29 and eight. Like, sorry, they didn't win 29 games. They haven't won 29 games every year for the last four years. Yeah. I think that's holding them holding them to a way too high a standard. If you're going to include all those seasons in, what, in this downturn because they've had fewer wins every year. No one's arguing that 21 and 14 and 17 and 15 in the last two years are good enough. They're not. Right. But to compare those to 25 and 10 and 24 and 11 when you go to the NCAA tournament, it's not the same thing. So let's talk. Let's get back to this team. Can can this be an NCAA tournament team next year? When you look at this team, what they're losing, which is Mark Loving and Trevor Thompson, what they're gaining, which is Caleb Wesson and Braxton Beverly, and do you think first? Let me type side question: Could they add somebody? Could they add a I grad think, transfer? I think they're going to add somebody. Um, 
I don't know if they're going to add a big. People are asking me, like, are they going to add a center now that Thompson's gone? They have Wesson, who's a center. They have David Bell, who's a center, who I think should play a little bit more than he has. And then if they're going to move Potter to, like, a four, he's a four or five. I don't know if you need to add another big man if you have, like, two and a half centers. Um, but I think they need another point guard. So I think they're going to add another guard, whether it's via grad transfer or late in the recruiting process. They're on this four-star guard named Mark Smith from Illinois. Um who is like a borderline top 100 player, four-star prospect, who doesn't have very many offers, and I think he's just kind of like a late bloomer or something. But they're in on him, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty good right now. So if they're going to add somebody as like a traditional late recruit, I think it's him. If not, they go grad transfer. But they have two scholarships to use, and I think they have to use one just to get more bodies in the roster. Beverly's a point guard, though? Beverly is a point guard, but he's I think he's more of a scorer than he is a run-the-show kind of guy. Um, I think, like in the end, for for as uh, good of a scorer as C.J. Jackson was in junior college, I don't think he's ever going to be that at this level. I think he might be able to score you like nine or ten points a game, but I think he's much more of a facilitator than he is a scorer. And I think Beverly is much more of a scorer than he is a facilitator. That he's like, I'm across half court. I'm going to launch it if you give me an inch, kind of player. All right. So, so give me the rotation for next year. Starting lineup and how the rotation works. I think the starting lineup, how I would do it, or what I think it's going to be. No, not Coach Landis. What do you think okay. Fat will do? It's hard to think. It's hard for me to pin down exactly what he'll do. If they okay, I'll say this with thinking they're going to add another guard, whichever way it happens. So I think Jackson and Lyle both start. I think Jackson and Lyle are your guards. Bates, Diop, and Tate are your forwards, and Caleb Wesson is your starting center. All right. So then, who else? Who else plays significant minutes? Cam Williams. Micah Potter, Derek Funderburk, who redshirted this year. So that's a guard, a 4-5 in Potter, a 3-4 in Funderburk, who's six foot nine and can guard a 5. Um, and Andre Wesson. And right? Andre Wesson. Andre Wesson. So the sixth man is who? Andre Wesson? First I guy think, off the bench is Andre Wesson? I think probably Andre Wesson. I think he would surpass Cam Williams. And then Cam Williams is like your third guard. Yeah. And then Potter definitely has a role. Uh-huh. And Funderburk, you think, is going to have a role. Yeah. That's a, that's a legitimate team to me. It depends that's a on, nine-man rotation that seems like a legitimate team. If you do it that way, your backup point guard's a freshman. True freshman. It's either Beverly or if they bring in – unless they get like a fifth-year senior grad transfer. But if it's a fifth-year senior grad transfer who's coming here to be a backup point guard, I can't imagine that guy is bringing anything significant to your roster because most of those guys – come because they want to be a star somewhere before they go to the NBA. Um, so that rotation would be contingent on you having a true freshman point guard in the backup role who would have to be at least somewhat decent to be a guy who plays 10 minutes a game at the point. Although you should be able – I mean, you couldn't you do it where Jackson starts at the point, Lyle's Lyle at the two, point. Cam yeah. Williams comes in, Jackson mm-hmm. goes out, Lyle goes to the point. For sure. Lyle could, goes yeah. out. Jackson comes back in. Like you could do a three-guard rotation where two guys can run the show, right? Yeah, just that Cam – Cam Williams can't play point guard because he can't dribble. But right. yeah, you'd have to shuffle Lyle and Jackson that way. But I, I, and that's a complete guess. But I would think it's Jackson, Lyle, Bates, Diop, Tate, Wesson, Caleb Wesson as a starting five. Does Thad have to make the tournament both for both you guys? Does Thad? Do they have to make the tournament next year for Thad to keep his job? You I, I feel like I've been dominating the conversation. So well, I'm not the basketball beat writer, so I'm but okay. You, but you were for longer than I've been. Um, I think. He probably does. Yeah, I is think... Is that fair? I think it's fair. 
I think because you, I mean, you make the tournament with marginal teams. Like you don't have to be great to make the tournament. And I feel like this year was the worst season ever. And I feel like if Ohio State would have won three or four more games, which seems like a lot, they might have made it, made it. I don't they know. Maybe played, they played a lot of close games. They made a lot of close games, and this felt like a disaster. I felt like if this wasn't a disaster and they just weren't very good, they still could have made it. So for me, thinking next year they don't make it again, I think that it's a recurrence of disaster, and I think that that's a problem. I agree with that. I think he has to make it, and I think that's the standard he should be held to. If, if we're establishing the baseline of the program as seventh best program in the Big Ten, which usually every year means that you're in the NCAA tournament, and now you're talking about three straight years where you're not one of those years you weren't even good enough to make the NIT, I think if he doesn't make it, then he should probably lose his job. I think that's probably fair. Like, And I've been like totally not on that at all, but I think that would be legitimately in the conversation. I mean, it's John Gross got fired after five years at Illinois. He made the tournament his first year and then didn't missed it four straight years. So he got four years of missing the tournament. Um, Thad would be at three years of missing the tournament. But do you feel like? But I would I would agree with that. I think that's three years of missing thing. the tournament and like basically not being competitive in the Big Ten. Yeah, and that's the difference. That this year was. Like last year, they didn't make the tournament, but it wasn't like a disastrous year. They won eleven Big Ten games. Yeah, so to go seven and eleven in the Big Ten and lose to Rutgers in the first round of the Big Ten tournament and not make the NIT is is I mean truly a down year. They're above five hundred, but like barely. Barely. Yeah. Were they seventeen and fifteen? Seventeen and fifteen overall. So so that's more like that's like a bad year. That's not just a miss the tournament year. This was a bad year. Um, Will they make the tournament next year? Um, I don't know. I thought they were going to make the tournament this year. So shows how much I know, well, I guess. What? What? Why didn't they? Why weren't they as good as you thought they were going to be? The Bates the up injury hurt them, and I know that sounds like a cop out, but it's true because I honestly I think he's their best player. I think if there's anyone on the team with like a shred of a chance of actually going to the NBA, it's him. He's a six foot seven wing who can shoot threes and defend basically anybody. Um. So losing him hurt. Um, I think that C.J. Jackson was not quite ready for major college basketball at the beginning of the year. And because of that, a lot was on Jaquan Lyles' plate, and he didn't progress the way that he needed to progress this year. He lost the weight and like physically got into the shape he needed to be in, but mentally didn't make the gains he was supposed to make and was basically the same player he was last year from a mental standpoint, understanding the game. Um, I would argue he was like less of a scorer this year than he was last year. And I don't know. I don't have the averages in front of me to know what how they compare. But he just he didn't feel like the same factor to me in games as he was last year. Um, and then you had a senior in Mark Loving who everyone was wondering if he'd make some kind of significant jump in terms of like wanting to be a leader of a program, and he never did it. And all those things kind of came to a head. And you had um, a lot of nights where they just weren't in it and lost games they could have won. They lost to Purdue by one point. They lost to Northwestern by two. They lost to Florida Atlantic in overtime. Um, lost the game. To Terrible Nebraska, loss to Nebraska. Nebraska by one. Um, got run off the floor by a pretty average Iowa team on the road. Like there were a lot. There was a lot out there. I think for the taking this year because the Big Ten was deep. I think, but not super great. Like the top, it was not top heavy. Everyone was kind of the same, and that includes Ohio State. I think, and Ohio State just never took advantage of the opportunities they had. It's weird because there are plenty of teams, and you guys are going through your brackets. Um, Michigan and Minnesota at various times this year were like in the same place as Ohio State was. Ohio State beat both of them. Ohio State beat both of them, 
And then Minnesota and Michigan both found it. Mm-hmm. And were clearly NCAA teams by the end. And Ohio State, I mean, there's a, again, there's a universe where you, it was there to be found for Ohio State. I think they were three and six at the midway point in the Big Ten. So they went four and five over the mm-hmm. final nine games. So it wasn't like they got, but, but they could have gone seven and two over their final nine games. Like that would not have been an impossible thing. There's a lot of stuff we were talking about. They had a Michigan State game and a Maryland game and a Wisconsin game coming up, and they've got to win a couple of these. And they ended up beating Wisconsin. But they were 15 and 10. I think it was they were 15 and 10 on February 8th after they beat Rutgers uh, in Columbus. And they had back to back road games at Maryland, at Michigan State. Did not have Jaquan Lyle for either of those games because he was back home. Or no, I'm lying. He didn't have him for Maryland. They had him for Michigan State, but he didn't. He played like 20 minutes, I think, against Michigan State. Lost both those games, and then the only meaningful game they had left that would help them at all was playing Wisconsin, and they won that game to their credit, but it, again, it wasn't enough. Like the same thing they did last year. They had a string of games at the end of the year, and if they won a couple of them, they might have gotten in, and the only one they won was Iowa, and then Iowa completely fell off the face of the earth, and it turns out they weren't very good, but it was the only ranked team. They've beaten two ranked Big Ten teams the last two years. It was Iowa at home late in the season, Wisconsin at home late in the season, and neither of those wins mattered. But but also, but again, they finished 7-11 in the regular season. They beat Wisconsin, but they also blew that game against Nebraska in the second half of the year, and they lost the last game of the year to Indiana. Mm-hmm. So if they had beaten Wisconsin and won those other two games, and the Indiana game wasn't really – they got in a big hole and tried to come back and took a lead in the second half. But if they had beaten Nebraska and Indiana – then they would have been nine and nine in the Big Ten instead of seven and eleven. Then you win two games in the Big Ten tournament, and all of a sudden you're you're making a case. And I don't know, even just looking at the way it shook out, like if they were nine and nine, depending on what they would have done in the Big Ten. I was always of the mind that when they got to the Big Ten tournament, they had to win it, or they weren't getting into the NCAA tournament. I don't know if that's true now. Like Iowa was one of the first four teams out; they were num- they're number one seed in the NIT. And if Ohio State was nine and nine in the Big Ten and had Two had 19 wins going into the Big Ten tournament instead of 17. They would have had a very comparable resume to Iowa's. I mean, they couldn't have lost to Rutgers. The Rutgers, Rutgers right. lost, but right. if you, you know you don't lose that game, and then maybe. But if you would have beat, if you would have beat Rutgers, and then say you had to, they had the same path. They would have beat Rutgers and then beat Northwestern, a tournament team, right? And had 21 wins, and were nine and nine in the Big Ten. They might have gotten in. So I mean, like that's a lot of what ifs. But the Nebraska game, they gave away. And then they just would have had to get one other win in the second half of the year against the. We're not asking to beat tournament teams. You said there were six and nine against tournament teams, right? Fifty, yeah, six and nine against. Is that good teams. or not? Or not that good? I, I like. I, I saw that stat and I thought to myself, "What does that? How do you interpret that?" Um, I think it's okay. I don't think it's. They had three wins against top fifty teams, but I think is the more important stat. Um, six, like the six wins. Um. There were a couple of non-conference games that they won. Like Providence is one of the last teams in, and they beat Providence. Um, UNC, North Carolina Central won their conference, and they got an automatic bid, and Ohio State beat them. So like that's two wins against tournament teams that I don't think are super impressive. It just so happens those teams kind of had their back the way into the tournament. So I don't think – I go back and forth and say tournament and tournament. I've noticed that about myself. Um, I don't think – What did you say? You say – which one do you say? Uh, for – up until I moved to the Midwest, I said tournament, and now I've since changed to tournament. Because right, so I so like if you're at a muse, if you first of all, I always used to say museum, like Shazam. Yeah. Now I try to say museum. Museum. If you're at a museum, and someone comes and shows you around the museum, you're on a tour. Tour. 
Yeah. Like I tore my pants, right? Yeah. Tour. But now I try to say tour. Tour. Yeah. But that's like tournament. You're on a tour. Tournament. You're on a tour. It's like it's. A, I think it's an East Coast Maybe thing. I, can book I think you on a tour. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed this about because you do the takes by the lake podcast, and you had Bud Shaw on, and Bud Shaw's an East Coast guy, right? And I noticed when you guys were talking about the NFL draft, if when Bud like got a little worked up about something, he would say draft, like draft, yeah. draft instead of draft. Right. You, would, you always say draft, and he's like draft, right? Which is an East Coast thing. Can I tell you this story about when I worked in Delaware? And uh, a friend of mine um, was trying to explain to me that on, on for the, his high school football team, he was the Wooder boy. Yeah. Have I told? And, and I thought like the Wooder, like what's the Wooder do? Like you get like you get a block of wood and like knock dirt off the cleats. Like what's the Wooder? He's like, no, the Wooder boy. And I was like, what are you saying? What does a Wooder do? And he was like, the Wooder. And he sang Water Boy. And it was unbelievable. It was like being in a foreign country. And that's where you're from. W-O-O-D-E-R. The that world is 70% water. Water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So you think uh, you think bounce back next year? I think, they ha- I, think, I think they have to bounce back next year. Um, but I don't know. If I'm an Ohio State fan, I don't know if I'm particularly enthusiastic because I would have been coming into this year. And they laid an egg in a big way, 17 and 15. So – I think the pieces are there for them to get back to the NCAA tournament. They have a major change to make in terms of like their buy-in to the program. And Thad Mata, I think, has a major change to make in the way he's connecting with his team because clearly it's not working. And I don't know if that's something you make in one offseason. Why does it look like they were not in it? Why did it, why did it so often look like they didn't want to be there? I've never seen a team make more mental – never seen a Thad team make more mental errors – they would get. They'd have three turnovers a game. That it would just like swinging the ball around the perimeter, get the offense started, and it was like somebody would drop a pass or not be looking when they need to be. It just like was unbelievable. I don't know why. Um, and I asked. I think I might have asked that out of that question once a week, and he never had an answer for it because if he had an answer for it, it wouldn't be happening. But I think the fact that he doesn't have an answer for it is kind of damning for him. And I, it's not. I think he's a good basketball coach, and I think he has been one at Ohio State his entire career. But at a certain point, if your team plays a similar way, which they've really done for three years, because even that Russell year, like he cleaned up a lot. I think um, he wasn't always perfect, but I think a lot of the things that plagued the team over the last two years were happening somewhat three years ago. It's just that you had the number two overall pick in the NBA draft running the point. Um, so if that's happening for three years. I think you question the guy at the top. Can I uh, make a point? I think part of it is if you don't have guys who are intrinsically motivated to do the things that you need them to do no matter what, what is the best way to get a college basketball player to do what you want him to do? What is your ultimate hammer on him? Stop playing him? Playing time. Yeah. When you have four guys transfer and you have no bench, you lose your hammer. And even the year before, when he had all those freshmen there, I mean, it, what you're not going to take Mark Loving out of the game and put Mickey Mitchell in. Like Mickey Mitchell doesn't even know where to go as a f- true freshman. He has not. I feel like the roster has been short for a couple of years, and he never had a hammer. So if he had a guy who he was relying on who wasn't playing the way that he was supposed to play, there was nothing to do except like hope. The guy got your message because in the end, Mark Loving had to play no matter what. Because if you took Mark Loving out, 
Who are you putting in? Mark Loving didn't have to play 35 minutes in a game where he had more turnovers and field goals, and that happened a lot. But what would you have done? Now, Wesson played more later in the the year, but but you also lost Kata. Can Andre Wesson score? Wasn't he worried about who's going to score? At a certain point, does it not matter? If you're senior, like, he's just not giving you what he needs to give you, and you have a guy who plays his position who, like, at least tries. And maybe he can't score the way Mark Loving scores, but I, I agree with what you're saying. I think he was a little hamstrung by the roster. Partly because he recruited a recruiting class that he completely whiffed on. Yeah, he makes the roster. Right. But there was room for him to benchmark loving, and he never did it. Okay. I'll buy that. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wrap this baby up. You wrap it up. You're the host. You wrap it up. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's Buckeye Talk. How many nuggets did you That was a nugget-free Buckeye Talk. Uh, we just did a football one that posted Wednesday talking about how – Ohio State and other Big Ten teams are like NFL teams, but mostly it was about me eating nuggets. Um, this is our basketball one. That's going to wrap it up for basketball. Ohio State is on spring break this week. They are back next week. We will be talking with Urban Meyer uh, next Tuesday. We'll have players and coaches, assistant coaches to talk to next Thursday. And then once they get off this spring break, again, Ohio State as a university is on spring break this week. They will be running through spring practice all the way through. We'll have Twice a week talking to these guys all the way up through the spring football game on April 15th. Um, so you're going to want to lock it into Cleveland.com, just like you always do. We'll continue to bring you a Buckeye Talk podcast. There's going to be a lot of football to talk about, and we're going to hit the spring football stuff. There's enough movement um, with new players on the rise, and we're going to be talking to guys at different position groups. We're going to tell you what people are saying about these guys, who they're saying looks good, who are these young guys that are going to play. Um, cause there are, there are a decent number of guys, not as many as the year before, but a decent number of jobs up for grabs here. So you can always read us at cleveland.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Ari Wasserman, at Doug Lee Maurice, at Bill Landis25. Um, as always, thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. That was Buckeye Talk.